This is a special episode of the Stem Cell Podcast, ISSCR 2022, Day 4. Hey everybody, we are doctors Daylon James and Arun Sharma. Welcome back to the Stem Cell Podcast, where we culture knowledge in stem cell research by talking to some of the brightest minds in the field. Today we're back with our final episode of the ISSCR 2022 annual meeting in San Francisco. We'll be discussing highlights from day four of the meeting and sharing our thoughts on how it all went. If you're tuning in for the first time, be sure to visit www.stemcellpodcast.com or your favorite podcast app to check out our episodes covering the three previous days of the meeting. We're going to kick things off on day four in just a minute, but before we get to that. Can't get enough stem cell science? Stem Cell Technologies has a huge selection of webinars available on demand. Visit stemcell.com slash webinars to explore your favorite topics in stem cell research. So I'm going to start by uh, rounding up the last plenary of the evening yesterday on day three, which was plenary five. There was a nice talk from April Pyle, who's a friend of the show she's been on, showing some impressive engraftment and elaborate tools to interrogate muscle regeneration. That was a nice talk. Um, a lot of it published, but some new. Also, Jurgen Noblik, also been on the, who hasn't been on the show? <laughs> Jurgen from the IMBA, we all know him. He was a great guest. Uh, I love about his talk and generally his science and his class of scientists is that they're, they're like from the old school. They, they apply classic methodologies, in this case, genetic screening, but appropriating all the new tech, in this case, CRISPR and organoids. He's, you know, one of the originators, along with Madeline Lancaster of organoids. So he's really ushered in the old and brought it uh, into the new, into the future uh, with his classic science with new methods. In this case, he was looking at loss function analysis and autism spectrum genes, really to understand what compartments they affect by using this kind of mosaic uh, mutation approach that I thought was really refined and emblematic of the most cutting edge approaches that we're using these days. Then there was Yao Kun uh, Wang, who was talking about vascularized cortical organoids. And my only qualm there is that the vascularization was mediated by HUVEC, which I've always thought is kind of a, you know, an outlier in terms of endothelial cells, not necessarily physiological. I don't know that they necessarily uh, respond to the niche specific cues, like maybe a brain microvascular endothelial cell might, but nevertheless, I mean, the real key there is if you can vascularize these organoids, you can scale them. And I think that was the primary endpoint and goal of that study. And he showed some impressive results uh, regarding the survival and ability to grow those organoids to larger sizes. And then finally, the reason why I stayed up and got into those plenaries in the first place was to see Lorenz Studer receive his ISSCR Achievement Award, which is well-deserved. Um, you know, he's one of the originators of the therapy. And, you know, not only was he the early champion of the potential, but he was, I think, one of the major uh, uh, mediators of, of, of reaching this point on, on the precipice of culminating uh, the all the efforts of, of uh, neuro, neurobiologists and stem cell researchers across the globe. Um, he had some really inspiring words to say to young scientists, investigators. I was touched and stirred by that. Uh, he had some update of, of the, his trial, the phase one, two trial, the safety profile looked good and feasibility of delivery looked really strong. It's just waiting for the efficacy, which I'm really optimistic that we'll see a benefit there. 
Um, and what I liked here wasn't really just a tour of all his many successes. I mean, it was amazing just to see the brief review that he, he did uh, in a very humble and gracious way. He's generated more than 50 cell types. You know, we talk about the early days of trying to figure out all the cells that we could differentiate. He made about half of them. So all credit to him. But in this talk, he wasn't even he wasn't even, you know, reminiscing and taking a victory lap. He was talking about his unpu unpublished work and uh, trying to uh, facilitate, enable maturation. You know, it's a it's a real problem in the field as we get these immature phenotypes. He has this gen tonic uh, cocktail, which was a bit of a laugh. He showed a, a cocktail on, on the slide to illustrate his point. Um, but the gen tonic cocktail, it doesn't just get you uh, get you turned up at the party. Uh, when you're talking about IPS cells, it really does seem to have a, a profound effect on maturation. So that was the close for that. And then, you know, after that uh, reception the night before, I had to shut it down. Aruna, I'm sure you were out there in the streets, maybe at, at the German party that's legendary, but I, I was ca catching my, my Zs. What do you think, my friend? Yeah, it was very well-deserved, well-deserved award presented to Dr. Studer. And I did see Dr. Studer and his lab uh, enjoying and celebrating out in the town, getting some nice dinner at a local restaurant that was refreshing to see. And yes, I did hit up the German party, the German Stem Cell Network's uh, annual party, which is always a lot of fun. But after uh, a night on the town, yes, I did attend the Saturday morning roundup session, the breakouts. I had to wake up early for that, but it was definitely worth it. I actually spent most of my time, all of my time really in a single session, which was immunological responses to fight infection and disease. A lot of really cool talks utilizing stem cell models and stem cell therapies to address different uh, infectious disease, viral illnesses, and so on. Dan Kaufman really got things started off on a on a nice note with this talk titled "Identification of Novel Regulators of Natural Killer Cell Mediated Anti Tumor Responses." And this was very relevant because for some of the later plenaries that we'll get to in a little in a little bit, a lot of his work has actually been spun into some uh, uh, some IP that's being used for clinical trials and so on. So it's really a really cool example of true translation in the stem cell derived um, NK cell and uh, IPS derived NK cell field. They're able to identify genes that when knocked out, were able to make tumors more sensitive to NK cell attack and really mentioned this CHIMP2A as a novel regulator of NK cell activity. When you knock out this CHIMP2A, it increases the NK cell mediated killing of glioblastoma which is, of course, a, a tumor type that we talk about a decent amount here on the show, really severe in terms of its prognosis, but good to see that some of this NK cell work is being used to address that particular malignancy. Moving on to a talk by Kyle Lowe, who is really an emerges, emerging young superstar in our field. He's a, a young PI over at Stanford who has been in their stem cell institute for a while now. I've actually overlapped with him a bit during my time at grad school over there. He had a really unique talk uh, using iPSCs to provide a new toolkit to study biosafety level four viruses. This is of course something that's relevant to the pandemic that we're in these days. You know, uh, SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID is not a BSL four level virus, but BSL-4 viruses, just by the nature of how serious they are, and in some cases, how scary they are, haven't been studied as much as we'd like them to be studied. 
and Dr. Lowe is presenting a, a cool stem cell model of, of uh, Nipah virus infection, which is a, a virus that actually has a 60% fatality rate. And it's known to affect the blood vessels, but in terms of the cell type specific infection of the Nipah virus in the, the, the subtypes of blood vessels that has been super well understood. So Kyle is really an expert in differentiation, all sorts of differentiation. And I remember, remember this from my time back in grad school, and they've been able to develop a really beautiful validation of vein and arterial endothelial cells uh, from pluripotent stem cells uh, and basically utilizing this validated model to uh, study Nipah virus infection. So he was able to find that the Nipah virus can specifically infect the arterial endothelial cells derived from their differentiation protocol, but not the venous endothelial cells. And it's, a, again, I think the first time something like this has been demonstrated, and I think their manuscript should be coming out pretty soon and, and probably a pretty high-profile journal. Next, moving on to Nadia Rajab, who was uh, benchmarking and developing uh, pluripotent stem cell models of macrophage biology. You mentioned Ali Moser yesterday uh, from the Svensson lab at Cedars-Sinai. He's actually doing some similar work. And Dr. Rajab here is actually showing that proliferation is a, is a driver of quorum sensing in pluripotent stem cell-derived macrophages. This is a really hot topic, uh, deriving macrophages from pluripotent stem cells and utilizing for different applications. Moving on to Sharon, uh, Sharon Fleischer from Gordana vunyak Nabashkovich's lab, who actually gave a talk later at one of the plenaries, I believe plenary number six this afternoon, Saturday afternoon, recapitulating patient-specific autoimmune-mediated heart disease with iPS-derived cardiac tissue models. Um, really, the focus here was on a disease that's pretty well-known, lupus, where apparently, and this is a fact I didn't know, 25% of lupus patients end up developing myocarditis or an inflammation of the heart, which can be pretty serious in a lot of situations. And do these patients have kind of autoantibodies that would specifically target the heart? This is a question that um, Sharon's model and system was helping to, to address. I think it was a really great study because it incorporated a bunch of clinical data, serum collection from lupus patients, and also an iPSC-derived cardiomyocyte model and looking at um, the uptake and binding of these autoantibodies in lupus. Also looking at uh, staying in the, the realm of viral infections, um, from the previous talk, from the earlier talks that I was mentioning, Daniel uh, Veronese Paniagua, apologies there, from, uh, um, from Washington University, St. Louis. And he was using basically pluripotent stem cell derives islets as a model to study the role of Coxsackie virus infection and the role of a particular gene, IFIM1, in islet response to CVB3 infection. This is something, again, that I had a bit of an interest, interest in because I've thrown this virus onto cardiomyocytes back in the day, and it's cool to see how this uh, virus can also impact uh, islet um, cell viability. Um, certain SNPs that apparently went overexpressed in the islets caused a stronger immune response after Coxsackie virus infection. So nice throwback to my own grad school days. Um, Andrew Khalil with a pluripotent stem cell derived vascular model to look at vascular dysfunction in COVID-19. We had to throw a COVID-19 talk in there at some point, right, at the tail end of the pandemic. One uh, thing that they sh he showed was a differential infection of smooth muscle cells as opposed to endothelial cells uh, in response to SARS-CoV-2, which is, of course, the virus that causes covid and finally, wrapping things up with Cena Bartfield looking at the infection and in, in innate immune signaling 
uh, associated with cancer in the gut. So really nice overview of some topics that were near and dear to my heart when it comes to utilizing stem cells to, to study viral infections. Uh, I think this has been a very relevant topic of study that we've actually highlighted on the show quite a bit recently over the last couple of years during the pandemic. So that was cool to see uh, the work being done in that field. Yeah, and you capitalized on that, like many others in the field, pivoting your research program a bit to, uh, you know, demonstrate that uh, COVID could infect cardiomyocytes right from IPS. So yeah, uh, near and dear to your heart and a lot of action there. Uh, I spent my uh, concurrent session in the CA, the clinical applications um, room. And uh, there was a more talks I'm going to highlight right here, but just very briefly, there's a lot of RPE uh, at this meeting generally. And in this, this session, there was a talk by Andrea Barabino, who was talking about uh, IPS-derived RPE in large animals. And I think this is a nice compliment to all the other studies, Sally Temple working in the rodent, Kapil Bardi also in the rodent, but large animals, perhaps a better model of what goes on in human, given the scale, the size of the eyes and the proportion of rods and cones is not exactly the same in, in, in rodents. So um, a need perhaps to e examine this, although um, I still think that Temple's models for showing function of the cells was better, but still impressive work from Andrea Barabino. Then I caught a, 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 a talk by Ran Jing, who's from Daily Lab, a travel award winner. Uh, talking about how they repurposed the story that they had. They had these easy T cells, the easy H knockdown cells that they showed a while back um, could improve the differentiation to, to definitive fates, definitive hematopoietic fates from um, IPS cells. Here, they were taking that capacity for improved definitive hematopoiesis and utilizing it to create this kind of off-the-shelf T cell. They call them these easy T cells, CAR Ts, um, that they could, you know, this is what we're talking about. It's very thematic in this meeting is generate a kind of founder line um, that then could be applied off the shelf. Uh, this one wasn't allogeneic, but I, I think the key here is showing that you could get efficient generation of T cells and you could engineer them so that they were CAR T cells and they function very similar to peripheral blood mononuclear drive um, CAR T cells. So it looks like at least in principle, uh, we have a product that um, could be made, a CAR T cell that could be made from iPS cells. And that's a major step forward, I think, because definitive and lymphoid um, differentiation from iPS has, has been elusive. Then there was a little bit of a twist for me. There was this talk from El Elias Zambidis and Johns Hopkins. He, he had way too many slides. Um, he only presented half of his talk, which was meant to be about ZAV939, not just a WINT inhibitor, was the title. And talking about all the signaling that does besides this uh, more, I think, uh, widely appreciated use um, in, in the WINT pathway. And it aligned a little bit with what Austin Smith talked about earlier in the meeting, kind of deconstructing how uh, the, the, this compound, specifically ZAV939, can have effects on multiple signaling um, pathways and events. But the real key to me here that was so uh, mind boggling is that I, I kind of got lost with this whole mechanism on the ZAV 939. But at the very end, as they were cutting him off, and he was just trying to race to his final slide, he showed this amazing, Arun, amazing chimerism. Mm -hmm. Apparently, that what ZAV 939 did in his specific turn uh, maintenance, he called it turn uh, media for maintaining a cocktail for maintaining IPS in a naive state. 
they contributed like bonkers chimerism in a, in a injected into mouse, like all, a lot of the vasculature. He just showed his ESAC um, and didn't really provide, I don't think, uh, elaborate data on the degree of chimerism. But I really wish they had given him twice the amount of time in spite of the fact that he went too deep on the turn. I really wanted to see what was going on with that chimerism. It was really impressive. Uh, I hope it's close to publication so we can uh, get a look at that. And then there was, again, this idea about uh, RPE, right? Generating RPE, although in this case, it was a wrinkle. Uh, this was from Sabia Hasebekaroglu. Sorry if I mispronounced your name there, from Andres Nagy's lab. And uh, this was interesting to me because they were tackling wet AMD. You know, all these AMD talks begin with, uh, there is a therapy for AMD, but only the AMD that's 10% of all cases, wet AMD in 90% of cases, the dry AMD, there's no treatment. But while there is a treatment for wet AMD, this kind of VEGF trap, this was an approach that uh, obviated the need for repeat administration into the vitreous of these VEGF trap or other anti-angiogenic compounds. It was a means of delivering cells that then would continually uh, generate uh, this VEGF trap. And then they had this fail-safe mechanism as well with the suicide and also uh, a kind of hypogenic approach to make a universal cell line. So it was a kind of three-in-one approach to address wet AMD. And I thought that was very cool. And, you know, apart from other talks that I thought were also interesting that I'm not going to highlight, I thought this session was, was great and really emblematic of how so many groups are moving in parallel to address this translation, you know, and specifically in these hemat hemat uh, hematopoietic uh, delivery kind of constructs and RPE. So many talks about that at this meeting room. Absolutely. I mean, solid morning sessions here on the very last day, even though it's a Saturday, we're still hearing some great science on a weekend, no doubt about that. Moving on to plenary number six, the second to last plenary of the, the entire conference, which was titled Technologies that model and direct emergent cell behaviors in stem cell biology and regeneration behaviors. This was a nice set of basic plenary talks in contrast to plenary seven, which is very, very translational. We started things off with Alex Van Uenarden looking at single cell rope ribosome profiling. This is pretty astounding. You know, the fact that you can do ribosome profiling on individual cells. And not only that, couple that with single cell RNA sequencing. I think this is poised to become a very, very powerful tool in the stem cell biologist uh, toolkit. Moving on to Smita Krishnaswamy, who unfortunately had a couple of technical issues with her talk, uh, but this was a little different from what we were used to. A lot of equations, a lot of math being thrown on the screen. I haven't taken math in a few years, so it was a little intimidating to me, but still a very powerful computational analyses that she's presenting. She's a computer science, computer scientist at Yale, who's actually really interested in denoising single cell data sets and uh, look, was also looking at the deconvolution of calcium signal dynamics, which is something that's near and dear to my heart, certainly. Uh, moving on to a someone who doesn't need that much introduction, Gordana Vunyak Novakovic from Columbia, who's trainees and papers we have covered extensively on the podcast, including some of the, the work that she presented in this particular talk. Of course, she was talking about some of the work of Casey Ronaldson Bouchard, some of these organs on chips and multi-organs on single chips, um, including the Nature Biomedical Engineering paper that Casey just published, where they're able to combine uh, skin, heart, bone, liver on a single chip and with a complex vasculature, complex cell types, complex media compositions that were in the single chip. 
Um, also, Naveed Tavakal was highlighted here, also a trainee in Gordana's lab, a former guest of the podcast, talking about his engineered human bone marrow with hematopoietic properties. Uh, this is a, an upcoming paper, uh, an upcoming project of his, and a lot of other uh, projects in Gordana's lab. So many cool, so many cool projects going on over there, modeling ischemia reperfusion injury in a sex-specific IPSC context. Uh, just so many cool things happening over there in, in Colombia in Gordana's lab. Also a breast cancer metastasis model using this multi-organ chip. That's that's also super cool. Another talk that I thought was really astounding and, and very different from what I was used to. This is Satoshi Toda from Japan, a very, very cool synthetic bio talk. Not a ton of synthetic, pure synthetic bio talks at this particular conference. Uh, but here he was looking at programming of multicellular pattern formation with these synthetic cell-cell signaling uh, model systems, and in particular, a, a unique synthetic bio model where he was using GFP itself as a synthetic secreted morphogen. Really astounding, kind of mind-blowing concept here how GFP and also a synthetic notch receptor can be used to modulate and, and examine, uh, you know, uh, morphogen gradients in, in a very simple pluripotent stem cell model, something very different, but uh, very cool to see. I know a lot of people were paying very close attention to that one. And then finally, Joanna Wisaka from Stanford, who was presenting uh, the uh, her talk, which is actually the ISCCR Momentum Award lecture from nucleosomes to human faces, her journey in stem cell biology at Stanford and over the years. She's really an icon in chromatin biology and basic stem cell biology, and also has uh, developed an evolutionary, evo-devo evolutionary development aspect to her work. A lot of beautiful work using cranial neural crust cells to study human evolution, in particular primate evolution, is I think very well deserved. She's been an icon in the field, and I'm sure the, the years to come are just going to have so much more great work coming out of her lab. Yeah. And she's already really changed the game. And just, I really respect and appreciate her mind because she's one of those unique scientists who just is able to think along different directions. I remember when she came out with these really, I think now appreciated as seminal studies, it was I don't think anyone was thinking in that box. And, and she did a, a couple of things. One, she came from this uh, landscape of epigenetics and understood the tools and the, and the importance of, of those regulators. But then she was able to apply it into a pluripotent stem cell system, which wasn't really her wheelhouse at that point. And then to take it in, as you said, uh, Arun, into a direction of Evo Devo and talking about like face, craniofacial development. Um, which I think just putting all those things together in one box is, is really amazing. And my takeaway there was, yeah, it all comes down to the face is what Joanna Wisoska was pretty much saying, the transcriptor factor dosing um, that's dictating the phenotypes. So, you know, now I have some explanation for this humongous forehead. Uh, I, can't, I can't really, <laughs> couldn't explain it before, but now I guess my forehead <laughs> dose was pretty extreme. I got my parents to blame for that. Um, but it was a, a nice, I think, short break there, which was, I think, the final break of this conference, I think, is worth noting, Arun, because everyone was, it was a short break, so people didn't really have time to get away. And the whole plenary session um, there was out in the little refreshment break, and everyone had one last chance. Of those who remained, they had a last chance to, you know, press hands and 
and talk about how great it was to come together. Uh, that was really nice uh, final parting there before we got back into the plenary to hear some words from the incoming president, Hai Fan Lin, um, who I thought importantly with, in, in emphasizing and voicing the, the society's goals really touched upon how we need to uh, integrate the global community. We need to recruit more Asian, Latin American, African people from the global stem cell community and integrate them with the society so we can get some, you know, a more diverse group at this meeting and in this society. And of course, that's going to contribute to more great science. Uh, then it was on to Donald Cohen. You might call it a, a puff piece, I guess, but I really got some tears in my eyes. Or was that you, Arun? Was it you crying or was it me who was crying? Yeah, I think both. it was you. It was, was both of us. Yeah, I think it was a little bit of tears in both their eyes. It was a great, great just story and, and, and something I think we all need to hear from time to time about how these measures that we take and we only really see them in the lab for the most part, how that once they get out of the lab, they can really change lives. In this case, talking about bubble baby disease, um, is ADA skid, uh, and uh, revealing some of the stats that I wasn't aware of. 50 babies have been cured of this disease, and that's a cure, cure, you know, going from uh, no life to just a normal life. And, and that was illustrated in this case by a conversation that was had between Dr. Cohn and a patient um, talking about her uh, baby daughter who was treated at a very young age and is now 10 years old. Uh, living a, a really normal and rich life, going from a bubble to a surfboard. There were some really nice pictures showing how she was able to, you know, notwithstanding all the, the fear and the trepidation regarding a new therapy, uh, she was pretty much untouched by that and even, you know, contracted COVID and was able to respond to all her vaccinations, living the life that, that my kids are living. So that was really nice to hear. And, and I think all of us in that room need to hear that from time to time. So that was great. Um, and a great segue then to Luigi Naldini, who is, uh, you know, amongst one of the godparents of, of gene therapy, perhaps the, the real icon behind it all. Um, he spoke a lot about all the measures that, that they're taking in his group and many groups to improve genetic engineering, to make it safer and easier. Uh, to make it cheaper, to make it uh, able to apply to a, a lot of diseases, perhaps less serious diseases, where the, the cost benefit is, is not so uh, complicated. Um, so that was great. And I, I can just imagine what it must be uh, like. Uh, I can only imagine. I would love to one day know what it feels like to do something your whole life and then trail a talk where your your you know your developments have have, have saved a life and, and made a life, um, so that must have been very gratifying for him and I think the whole group. Then it was on to Masayo Takahashi, who um, you know is is also another icon in the field, talking about her work with IRPE. She was you know almost a decade now ago in 2013 that that trial of uh, IPS derived RPE was launched in Japan. Um, although it's been a bit of a rocky road, I think uh, there was a, a little bit of spin, I would say, in her presentation in terms of how the course of those trials have gone. As, as, as some of those listening may remember, they went from an IPS only to a bank to an allogeneic. Um, so those trials have progressed. And I think that there have been ma major challenges that emerged for all of us. Um, but I, I think now, I, I guess, uh, 
doctors Temple and Barty, Kapil Barty and Sally Temple have really um, caught up there and I'm betting on them, frankly, but there's still a long way to go and there's room for everybody uh, to, uh, to make a major contribution and, and Takahashi certainly is one of the founders there. So it was nice to hear from her. Then there was a, a I think a really interesting for, story from Bob Valamir at Fate Therapeutics about off the shelf uh, tea and natural killer cells. And the thing here uh, that was, I think, good, great, was his, his quote. He said, five years ago, this was a cartoon. Now we're closer to the reality. And that is the idea of generating a cell bank for therapy, a master cell bank. And, and the method that they use, which I think is, is, has benefits and costs, is this clonal expansion. They get a single cell from one cell to 100 million. Um, and that's their master cell bank so that they can qualify it. Uh, although just a note, that's 25 population doublings. And the idea there, the rationale is that you'll have a clone. Um, I would argue that maybe in those 25 popula population doublings from one to 100 million cells, there may be some heterogeneity that emerges. But I think it really doesn't matter in this case. Maybe you could argue because this is a kind of mercenary therapy, I like to call it, where you generate cells that you don't need them to engraft. You need them to go in there and kill some stuff. In this case, the NK cells and the T cells are there to target cancer. Uh, you just wonder about hematological malignancy from the actual graft. So I think you gotta have some countermeasures there. I'm, I'm sure they, they've thought of that. Uh, regardless, I think an impressive methodology, they've really scaled up and gotten to an, a point uh, where they're ready commercially to apply these cells. So that was uh, impressive and exciting. And then finally, Arun, I guess we're going to speak about this a bit, you and I both, but there's a story we've all been waiting for. And that was kind of a uh, forecast by Doug Mountain early in the meeting from Gary Menninger um, from Vertex, uh, where they injected cells into the portal vein with immune suppression. They had a series of two, then five, then 10 patients. The first two patients, a, a safety dose, which is half of the target dose, uh, and they've uh, got both those patients uh, they've delivered cells to, and they have a third patient that they've delivered at the target dose. Um, primarily, the data was focused on that first patient because uh, the second patient is only out to about day 150, or that's all the data was shared out to. But um, that first patient showed really, really remarkable response which effectively looks like a complete cure, is insulin independent and has a normal H1C and glucose monitoring, continual glucose monitoring shows a, a totally normal profile with very mild adverse events. And um, this was the patient that we read about in the Times. So uh, we already knew, I guess, that this was gonna be a, a virtual cure. The second patient, not as impressive. Um, the third patient, we didn't really get any data on, but I, I would say I'm optimistic as is the stock market. If you look at the ticker, Vertex is pumping right now. But um, I'm optimistic, even though there's surely going to be some heterogeneity uh, amongst the, the population of patients that receive this therapy. Arun, pretty exciting stuff. What do you think about it? Very exciting. And I think there's a reason why they have these major clinical trials wait until the very end of the ISCR to, to announce some of these results, just to keep people interested, keep people in their seats, make sure people stick around for the in, entire session and the whole ISCR. And of course, we also have to mention Priscilla Chan, who gave a keynote address at the very end of that plenary talking about just in general, the great work that the biomedical research community as a whole is doing, and also that the ISCR has done 
over the last 20 years and bringing, you know, therapies to patients. But yes, I think the focus really here was on the, the phase one, two early clinical trial results from Vertex hinted by Doug Melton very early on uh, in the ISCR. And yes, the patient one results were absolutely astounding. We did get a reflection of that in the New York Times late last year, but it's good to see the clinical data. And it does correlate with what the Times piece did mention. This individual had an astounding response to this therapy. Patient two is certainly not as impressive, but I think this is enough to push this trial down the road. Uh, very, very good to see. And moving on to you know, at the, the earlier talks from that plenary, I think were also very refreshing. I think Don Cohn's uh, patient advocate talk with Alicia Vicaro talking about her daughter, I think we all needed to hear that every once in a while. We needed to hear that the work we're doing is having a positive impact in the community, in the patient population, and potentially in this situation leading to cures. This is a, this is a story that was really personal, very touching to me as a new parent as well, seeing a child who was afflicted by this very serious deadly disease. And now in all circumstances, all, you know, uh, for everything else is quite healthy, surfing in Hawaii, as was mentioned uh, in that particular session. But yes, I, I think the, the real beauty for this session to me was to see that these iPSC-derived clinical products and therapies are really reaching um, trials and they're, they're having efficacy in a lot of situations, especially for the case of that one uh, Vertex patient, that one iPSC-derived uh, islet patient. I think Fate Therapeutics is doing a great job. Blue Rock is on the road as well. Vertex is down the road. So this is happening. This is really exciting. And especially for, I think, the trainees out there who are in a generation of trainees who are seeing these things go into patients. And, you know, a generation ago, we were just worried about making these cells. And now we're actually bringing them into people and having efficacy. I think it's so incredibly refreshing and powerful to see. And that's it. That's all we got for this year's ICCR 2022. I mean, we'll leave you with some of our parting thoughts in terms of the big picture of the conference, both the, the science part of it, the social part of it, starting with the social part of it. And this is something that every single person in our one-to-one -one, uh, uh, delegate interviews mentioned. They just wanted to see people in person. Okay, this was refreshing. We're, we're social creatures, human beings. We are. It's no doubting that. And to, to see everybody in person, face-to-face, -face, seeing old mentors, old friends, folks who are avid listeners of the show and have appreciated the work that we do here on the podcast uh, to bring the science to you. And just th that was just really heartwarming to see that people are listening to what we say and valuing what we say. So that, that was great. Thank you, everybody, for, for taking a, a close listen to to this year's ISCR roundups and also just listening to the podcast in general. And when it comes to the science results, the things that really stuck with me were one, these, these hypoimmune talks. Okay, this is coming up again and again. The idea of shielding cells, shielding therapies from immune attack. And I think perhaps combining that technology with some of the clinical trials in iPSC-derived RPE, iPSC-derived uh, islet cells. I think that's really going to take these cell therapies to the next level. Also, the power of 3D models, next generation models, whether it's Gordana talking about her multi-organ chips or 
tons of people talking about assembloids, which are not just limited to Sergio Pasca anymore. A lot of people across the world are adapting these next generation technologies to really great use and great application. Uh, and of course, of course, the, the clinical trial results in particular highlighted by Vertex. That was a defining moment, I think, in this field to show the efficacy, the astounding efficacy of iPSC-derived islet cells for treating type 1 diabetes and can't wait to see what the future holds. Yeah, man, these therapies, they're working. It's so amazing. And uh, I can imagine this, this must be uh, uh, beyond the wildest dreams of a, a lot of the investigators who were at the meeting, the first meeting 20 years ago. So it's a nice, I think, uh, 20th anniversary for the ISSCR. As Arun touched upon there, we're moving forward in terms of, you know, our ability to approximate human embryogenesis. And we're using that uh, for basic insight as well as for therapeutic application. It's such an exciting time to be alive and to be at this meeting. My final thought, it's a little bit out of left field, but uh, I just noticed every talk I went to, this is not even a joke. Uh, it's a little bit funny, but it's not a joke. About three, four rows away from me every time, Lee Rubin. I'd look up, I'd see <laughs> Lee Rubin right there. So there's one or two possibilities here. Either Lee and I have the same instincts about what sessions to go to and where to sit in the room, or Lee Rubin, you're stalking me. And if that's the case, my friend, and you're listening now, please come be on the show. All you had to do was ask. And if it's not the case, if it's the former, I think I'm in the right company there. Lee, you got the right instincts like me. Let's get together on a collabo. Maybe put something together for ISSCR 21st anniversary. But we'll be back before then with another episode. But that brings us to the end of our ISSCR 2022 episode series during the meetings here. We've met a lot of people and had a lot of fun. And we already can't wait until the 2023 meeting in Boston, Massachusetts. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter at www.stemcellpodcast.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Stem Cell Podcast or via email at info at stemcellpodcast.com with feedback. As Arun said to all you guys that we met and that are fans of the podcast, it's been so great talking to you and, uh, you know, getting that, that fandom. I mean, we need it. As far as we know, we're talking to each other, but it turns out there's a few out there who like the show. Uh, we hope we can continue to bring it to you and we will have another episode for you very shortly. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye.